Welcome to season three of Inside My Canoe Head, a podcast about individual emergency preparedness, where we talk about topical issues of the day. We interview people who are dealing with it on a regular basis. We ask the tough, difficult, and controversial questions. Sit back, relax, let's get to it. All right, welcome to this week's episode, where we're talking about understanding critical issues, or as a great subtitle, my hair is on fire. Why is everybody doing stupid things? And what does it mean to me? In the world of preparedness, we're no different. Listen, we all have opinions, some educated, some not, some based on facts, some based on other things about the world around us, things that are happening, events, decisions our politicians are making, the, the words our pundits put together. We have all of this out there, and it's driving some of us absolutely nuts. Just go on Twitter, any social media, look in the news. It's just incredible. But how does that matter to us in the world of preparedness? So today we're going to talk about three fundamental issues that are up in front and center right now in the world. Climate change, supply chain issues, and our wonderful friend COVID-19, the pandemic that won't stop giving and what our decisions are being made by our politicians, our pundits. How do we wrap our heads around that? How do we zero in on what that does to our preparedness plans and how that affects our lives? So first, let's get out of the way. This is not about putting forward an opinion or my belief system about any one of these issues. It's about understanding that we're not all going to agree. But in preparedness, it's not about agreeing. It's about knowing the facts knowing what politicians are going to do and how that's going to likely affect your life. That's the point. You may not agree with what your politician is doing, but the person in a position of power is going to do something that is going to influence your life. So you better understand how that's going to influence your life and you better understand how you're going to come up with your own mitigation measures to counter that. Because yelling at the TV or screaming at your favorite podcaster is not in any way, shape, or form going to change or frame public policy. And let's be frank, just because you've got an opinion on something, it doesn't mean you're right. Remember, this world is full of a whole bunch of people with educated and uneducated uh, thought processes on a lot of issues. And just because you believe a certain set of things, it doesn't mean everybody else is wrong. It means you have a different viewpoint. So let's start off with climate change because we're coming up on the COP26 meetings in Glasgow, Scotland, and that's where uh, the top leaders of the world, both in your multilateral organizations, multinational organizations like the United Nations uh, and, and most of the countries in the world will get together and they'll attempt to deal with the issue of climate change. Now, this is not about, again, whether you believe Al Gore is correct or whether you believe the IPCC is an unbiased organization. This is about the real effects and the emotions aside that's going to happen, what's going to come out of this COP26. Now, most of these promises are just emissions targets. They'll promise to be binding. They're going to kick them down the can. And, and for me, I personally believe, and I'll tell you that up front, that emissions targets are an utter waste of time. And I've said this in my podcast episode on the solution to climate change is simple. They're just going to kick them down the can and they're not really going to do anything. But some things are going to be affected. Here in Canada, our gas and commodity prices 
are going to be affected. We have a federal carbon tax, like it or lump it, here it is. It's about nine cents a liter on the cost of gasoline. Now, carbon tax is added to a whole bunch of other necessities in life. Remember, we are a country that's 6,000 kilometers wide. All of that food has got to get from A to B in a truck. That trucking company has to pay carbon tax on their fuel. So it is an absolute impossibility to prevent carbon tax from increasing your price of food. Good or bad and different, I don't care how you think about it, but this is the point. How is this going to affect me? We heat. And if you look at climate change and the demand that is changing for uh, natural gas, where I heat my house with, we're expecting our natural gas bill to be somewhere near triple than last winter. Now, for a lot of people, that's going to cause some significant difficulties. If your heating bill for the winter is tripled, you're going to have to start making some stringent choices and start wearing some sweaters and start eating more ramen noodles. It can affect employment. If your employment is linked to industries that are greatly affected by public policy decisions related to climate change, just think about the recent election in Calgary, the center, the headquarters for all of Canadian petrochemical industries. The, f the new mayor has said her first task is to declare a climate emergency and move past oil and gas. It's the number one industry in Alberta and it's the number one driving force to the economy and the GDP of the city of Calgary. If you don't think her moving forward and the decisions she's going to make and the follow-on reactionary decisions that are going to be made by the petrochemical industry are not going to affect your ability to gainfully be employed in the city of Calgary, then you're missing the boat. And this is the point that I'm trying to get at in this episode, is that these decisions politicians are making... I don't care whether you like them or lump them. It is your responsibility to understand how this is going to affect your daily operations, a.k.a. your life. So if you drive 45 minutes to an hour each way in a private motor vehicle and gas prices are now at 145, going to be over 150 to 160 in some parts of the country, that and your and your heating bill this winter is going to triple and the cost of food in some cases is up by 15 to 20 percent for poultry bacon and meat somewhere along that line something has to give and this is where those policy decisions the rubber hits the road pardon the pun that it affects your bottom line and as a as a preparedness individual it is up to you to use this and review your dependency on critical infrastructure now we've used critical infrastructure in several years of this podcast to talk about your dependency how do you depend on critical infrastructure of food transportation um, gasoline, things like that. You understand your dependence and your requirement to access it and how much that influences your ability to execute the type of life that you want. So we do the same thing with climate change. We look at the fact that all of these things are now going to become more expensive as a result of public policy decisions. Again, I don't care if you like it or lump it. That's the reality. How does that affect your ability to do everything else how does that influence that's the conclusion that you need to come to and that moves well into our second topic of supply chain I, i've done episodes on supply chain before i have 20 years of supply chain experience listen folks the world's not collapsing down however there are issues with some types of supply chain 
and an over demand sitting in you know you've seen those pictures off of california where you've got 50 containers from uh, container ships from from China that can't get in or Southeast Asia. You've got shipping agencies charging twenty thousand dollars to get a TEU across the Pacific when it used to be two point five to five k. Um, so you know it's just becoming more and more expensive to move things about. So the question is, is how how does that affect me? So again, I'll go back to another thing that I talk about in this podcast is your animalistic requirements because. There's a difference between can I eat and can I buy the toy for Christmas. So if you look at your animalistic requirements, which we know to be your shelter, your food, your water, and your health and safety, how much of that is actually dependent on the national and international supply chain? So for example, one of the great ways to look at it is when you think about the fad, they used to call it a fad that was around the 100-mile diet, right? Try to eat everything that's that's created by nature within 100 miles of your house. So so think about 100 miles, 100 kilometers, whatever you want around your house. How many of the things that you absolutely need to exist and and survive as a human being require transportation from outside that range? So how much of your food, if you can call it food, I call it manufactured goods, all those cereals and stuff in the middle, of, they're not really food, they're manufactured goods, but if if you look at the things you you as my old boss used to say, the stuff into your pie hole, how much of that comes from outside 100 miles? What happens if I have difficulty getting that? What What's the issue with that? And for example, you know, in North America, we have one of the ro- most robust paper product supply chains in the world. We're never going to run out of toilet paper. We didn't run out of toilet paper. People just bought three times more than normal expectations in a week. So the supply chain had difficulty delivering for that spike in demand, we never ran out of toilet paper. So the point being is, is you have to understand for your animalistic requirements, your shelter, I'm pretty sure you're going to be fine there. Your food, just look at where your food comes from, how much of it is imported, how much of it is from a local reasonable source. I mean, your water is, is if you live in urban, suburban you're going to have potable water access and then your health and safety. I mean, depending on where you live, your cost of health care may go up depending on any medical conditions you have or if you live in a jurisdiction where you have to pay for health care. Here in Canada, uh, I'm going to get access to the regular health care more affected by the pandemic than anything else. My safety and security, I don't live in a place where I'm worried about people kicking in my front door and stealing my food. That's not a reality. So from that perspective, I'm really looking at food being my exposure. So when I look at my balance of my food diet, I did a quick assessment. About 80% of my food that my family consumes is created by nature within 100 miles of my house. So will these supply chain disruptions, you know, kind of cheese me off every once in a while because my favorite little cookie is not on the shelf? Sure. But when it comes to actual meeting the necessities of life, now we're good to go. It's not really going to be a big deal. Now, your supply chain, Christmas presents, Costco's hiring their own ships. They're running 24-7 on the West Coast to try to clear the backlog. Now is the time to kind of adjust your plans 
for the holiday season. Um, if you're looking for that certain PS5 that nobody in the world can seem to find, you, you got to step away from that. Stop chasing what is in short supply and move to what is in big supply and wait for the supply to catch up. I mean, right now, if your kids are looking at something, you have to figure out a way. And I know it's hard. Listen, I had two young boys. It's hard to steer away from the latest and greatest to what is available. Um, but again, that de talks to your stress issue. If you're going to chase around and get into uh, you know, Cabbage Patch Kids style fights in Wall Wally World for the latest toy, I mean, you're, you're bringing that on yourself. And I, I, sympathy is zero for that. Thank you very much. Uh, you have to try to figure out how to lessen your dependence on that. And so when you sit back and you just examine the fullness of your exist your life and, and how you do your daily operations and reflect to your dependence on CI. Then you look at how the supply chain affects that. I'm pretty sure for the most part you're going to come up that you're doing all right. You're really doing fine. There may be some specialty food items, some specialty medical items, or things that are primarily singularly made outside of your jurisdiction that are transported in that may or may not be in short supply. And this again speaks to your timeline that you developed in your preparedness planning. Was it 60 days? Was it 14 days? Was it two weeks? Was it 90 days? Like I've said before, my preparedness plan was 60 days. The pandemic has made me move that up to 90 days. I'm in the process of doing that, which means that if there is a supply chain disruption in, in anything that I need and my family needs for a period of a couple of weeks, even two months, I'm going to be okay because I, I have that safety stock, as we would say in supply chain language, sitting in my home or quick access to where I won't have an issue. Now, no, I don't go years out because I think that's just a pocket talk unrealistic. But if I had something very, very important like my son's EpiPens, we went through that a couple of years ago where EpiPens were almost impossible to find due to supply chain issues. I actually got caught without one. I mean, I had an expired one, but I couldn't get, even with his allergy and, a, and the prescription, I couldn't get that piece of medicine. And again, that was a quick reminder of saying, hey, listen, I need a couple of months supply of EpiPens stuck into my house to make sure that I don't put myself in that position to where an allergic reaction could happen and I can actually administer immediate health and safety to my child. That's a bit difficult to imagine. So with that, from the health, we're going to transition into the last one, which is our friend and favorite COVID-19 pandemic. And I did an episode a couple of weeks ago on uh, alternative thought, anti-vaxxers and the sense of community. I just want to tell you that I've received a whole bunch of wonderful and less than wonderful feedback about it. And I love it. Just, you know, keep firing it back at me with people with all kinds of preconceived opinions, etc. And again, the point of this episode is I'm not here to debate whether you think vaccines are good or bad, whether you think lockdown measures are good or bad, because you know what? You and I, we don't get to make those decisions. We can be loud and proud on Twitter and other Facebook and on podcasts and do whatever we want. But in the end result, somebody other than you and I is going to make the regulations by which we have to abide. Welcome to a free and democratic society, which means at times you're rulers, your overlords are going to make decisions you don't agree with, but you have to abide by them. If you don't like that, go create your own country. The point that we're making here is 
you have to understand how these decisions are going to influence your ability to execute your life, aka my daily life, my daily operations, how my family wants to live their lives, and how this is going to influence it. Yes, you can do your part if you believe in it by getting the vaccines, which I do. Or if you don't believe that you wish to get a vaccine and you see that you can no longer do a certain things in society, how does that affect me? How do I mitigate that? Those are the type of questions you have to ask yourself. Because the big issue when you're talking about pandemics is you're starting to talk about significant health issues. And, and the world is full of expert opinions, professional opinions, conjecture, punditry. I'm in it with a couple of people over on Twitter. My handle is at Inside Canoehead. The word my couldn't fit in because Twitter handles apparently have a limit in length, whatever. I'm over there and, I, and I'm and i jumping in and giving my two cents worth. So if you want to join that fight, come on over and, and follow me on, on Twitter. But the point is, is where do you get your information and who do you trust? And this, this, this speaks actually in more detail to what I study in my PhD research is trust in government and, and how people have built up or eroded throughout this pandemic their trust in government and is it their trust in institutions or trust in politicians i'll be frank with you there's very few politicians that stand vertical that i have any trust in whatsoever in this country at any level and it's not just uh, the federal government or the provincial government or the municipal government politicians by their very nature there's probably five that i can uh, name on my hand that I would trust and that's because I work with them prior to them going into politics and I know their character and I know the individuals that they are. The point is, is the punditry in the media is exactly the same. I read a piece this morning about going on about how the conservatives are ridiculous for saying uh, inflation is due to Justin Trudeau's um, expansionary monetary policy. I don't want to get into that now, but that's, you know, you know, inflation's being really, really bad in Canada right now. It's up over 4%. The government looks really much in trouble. So out comes the media to save their darling government. That's the problem that we have in a free and democratic society is the media has largely moved away from providing us facts and doing investigative journalism. And there's more online punditry. So, I mean, the difficulty is if, if depending on who's, you know, party you're in or, or whose group of people you support, articles like that can be pro and you can cheer them or you can rail against them and they can make you mad and angry. But the point is, no matter how mad and angry you get, these governments are going to continue to make policies that influence your ability to execute your functions. So this is your health when you talk about the pandemic. If a government is telling a limitation on how you execute your job. How does that affect you and your employees? What is your long-term plan? Because if you're still trying to take the same pre-COVID business plan and fight it through COVID, you're missing the point. That's not the idea of running into an obstacle. An obstacle is going to be the way, as the great Stoic Ryan Holiday has written in his fabulous book, entitled Obstacle is the Way, you're presented with something and this is actually the way forward. So let's jump into the pandemic with two feet and see how we can be successful in business in the middle of it. And that's about learning how the policies and the situation affect your choices in living life 
and then making the necessary changes to continue to be successful. Because remember, in preparedness, the most important question is who is responsible for your outcomes? And the answer is you. If you think the government's responsible to come rescue you and pay your bills and pay your rent, then I wish you the best of luck. But if you actually think you're responsible for it, then this is the type of thing we're talking about in today's episode and some future episodes that are in planning is about how do you take the emotional anger and and magnitude of the feelings that we all have about issues like climate change and the pandemic and government restrictions and vaccines and and supply chain shortages and massive price increases and how we get all mad and we get angry and we pound our fists that nobody's giving me enough money I can't pay my bills give me give me give me more free magical government money or do we sit down with our favorite beverage even if it's cheap, no-name brand instant coffee, and you sit down and you look at your situation and you look at how these political decisions are going to change it and then how do I amend it? You come up with a plan, you implement that plan, and you move forward. That's a preparedness mindset. That's the key to being successful with any disruption that comes your way. Take the emotion out of it, sit down and logically think through. And we've got some great episodes in this podcast about how to plan how to get through this, how to look at your dependency on, on critical infrastructure, how to frame your thought process when it comes to government intervention, how to frame your thought process on responsibility and what the government's role is in your life. But I want to end with a friendly thought, and it's an extension of my episode on community. And one thing that's come out of a lot of the feedback from that episode is... We're all in this together, not in the sense that because of our socioeconomic status, we have the same level of effects. That's the wrong interpretation of that phrase. We're all in it together, which means we all have a different set of struggles at a different magnitude and a different frequency. But everybody in some way, form, has been had their life altered or influenced by a number of issues that we've discussed today and have discussed in previous episodes and continue in our lives and we need to have a bit of empathy for people we need to take the time to remember that we're a sense of community the most important thing you have in the world of preparedness is access to your social capital and that's your people around you your networks and the resources within those networks that's what's going to save your butt in an emergency not some cool bunch of first responders that are driven by an EOC that's wired by the latest dem software and all this other stuff that's out there it's going to be the community and the people around you and so we need to have a bit of empathy for that we need to help out our our neighbor we need to be the best citizens we can in this collective experience but remember in the end responsibility is yours so that means responsibility for however you define family and your outcomes it's up to you it's not the government's job Hopefully this week you uh, you found that informative, you found that interesting. Leave us some comments at jeff at preparednesslabs.ca. Uh, we're coming up with a new idea and a couple of new episodes are going to come out and they're going to be called Blunt Public Policy. So kind of like my episode was, the test case was on the solution to climate change and simple because it really is simple and it doesn't require massive government departments and public servants to solve. Actually, very few public servants to be frank. We're going to start the blunt public policy. I'm an individual that believes the solution to everything is simple. It actually is. And those who don't think so are those who are trying to prevent their job and their very existence from being 
uh, erased. And so we're going to start with some pretty uh, aggressive issues. We're going to we're going to be blunt. We're going to be in your face, and we're going to be uncomfortable. And then we're around that. We're going to continue with some more episodes in the preparedness scheme. I got some ideas about how we're going to move into this winter based upon the forecasting and things that you can consider. So thank you very much for taking the time to join us. Please share this with all of your friends or anybody else. If you have comments, I'm on Instagram. I'm on Twitter. Give us your comments. Uh, one of one of the people who took it some seriously long time and gave me some great evidence i just said hey listen why don't you come on the podcast and it's one of the fastest growing episodes we've ever had uh my discussion last week with sharon so please take the time tell us what you think have yourself a great day stay safe get a jab